This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Technical Exchange meeting, or TEMS, in Philadelphia. The panelists included Dr. David Markowitz, the Army Chief Data Officer, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, who leads the network cross-functional team, Lieutenant Colonel Randy Lineman, the G6 for the 101st Airborne Division, Major General Rob Collins, the Program Executive Officer for PEO C3T, Command Control Communications Tactical, Ross Guckert, the Program Executive Officer or PEO for Enterprise Information Systems, and Joseph Welch, the Director of the Army's Command Control Communications Computers Cyber Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance, or C5ISR Center. General Ray, we're going to put you on the spot. So let's start with the the foundational piece around the data strategy. We know if you haven't read it yet, you should. It's online. You can find it there. But let's just start with some basics. How do you set that foundation so the data strategy, the network, can support it? It's not specifically about the data only. It must be understandable and repeatable. And you heard most of it today. It's about developing a transport that is not complex, where we can't move the data that we need to. So That's why you hear the term called transport agnostic. We want multiple paths to get there. That's part of the strategy. Even in the JADC2 strategy, a transport layer is a part of that implementation plan. It's talking about transport. The other thing is multi-layer security architecture. That's going to be key. You heard heard us talk about zero trust architecture. That's another building block that we have to ensure that we get after to move data from, you know, the, the highest echelon down to those who execute on target. And then finally, SEMA. Uh, we have to build in that cybersecurity across the board. That's going to be key in this strategy going forward. So, again, that is just three other things that I wanted you to keep in mind in order for us to get to, one, the uh, implementation of the data strategy, and two, how to get to JADC2 at the end of the day. But real quick, General Ray, the one thing that comes to mind is, Okay, you laid out the transport's important. How do you make it important? What are you, what's something that the cross-functional team is doing today to address that, reduce complexity, and improve the, the transport layer? Jim, how do you want to take a piece of it first, and then I'll go? One of the things we realize, I mean, certainly as we become a more data-centric environment, it's somewhat inversely proportional to your dependence upon the transport. You know, as General Ray mentioned, you know, we got to we got to be transport agnostic. We got to be able to leverage all of the transport tools that we have available in the toolbox. We've got a number of initiatives. Mr. Welch can talk. Uh, you know, Mod RF is one that helps us do. You know, you know, automatic selection, transparent to the user. You know, some of the things that we've done in past put a significant overhead management burden on the network. This one's. You know, a lot uh, more, you know, a, a thinner implementation. Uh, we've also worked with some transportation aggregation gateways that we can look. And, and really the thought process there is whether it's it's a terrestrial, whether it's an aerial connection, whether it's a satellite, uh, it can, auto, you know, automatically select transparent to the user the best path. And it really is a core enabler foundational component to our data-centric environment. And, and, and so those are really big, those are investments, big focus areas that we've got uh, for the portfolio. And, and before we get to Dr. Markowitz, that's happening today, meaning you're testing them, you're looking at them. This is not just 
actively developing and sending them out to the field as part of operational assessments so that we can fold them into our capability set. Absolutely, we are. And, and Mr. Walsh, you can probably talk about that piece of it as well for the net. Yeah, I guess I would just say, you know, we talk about data and we talk about transport, and I don't want anybody to, to think that when you hear transport agnostic, it means that we're not worried about that, right? It means from a user perspective, that, that shouldn't be a factor, having to configure setup and everything else. But from an industry and technical perspective, we need a lot of help in this area. As General Collins mentioned, we're making a lot of good progress. We've had S&T investments that are going in right now into programs of record to, to st what I would call a start to this you know, auto pace effort. But there's a lot more investment that we've got in the S&T community to adjust that over time, to get that um, <clears throat> less reactive to network conditions, more predictive, more threat-based. And so that's still a huge source of uh, science and technology investment. And you can see already the payoff in the investments that have been made so far into the, the programs of record, into the, uh, the network CFT and the Army uh, network modernization priorities. So, I mean, I think um, we're going to talk more about data here, but you don't want to forget that transport agnostic, it, you know, we, we're, we're getting there. It's a principle of ours, but we still need um, technology solutions to build and improve upon what we've got. And, and okay. Just, uh, Go ahead, real quick, and then we'll get it. Yeah, I, I was just going to give another exemplar. You know, one of, I think folks are relatively familiar with our Blue Force track. History, you know, went for terrestrial based, satellite based, and then where we're going through the technologies that Mr. Welch just talked about. We want to have a multitude of options, and so you know, one of our foundational components to do the three basic functions on the on the battlefield: shoot, move, and communicate. And so, whether it's terrestrial, whether it's a basic resiliency or a high resiliency satellite, that algorithm can be be able to you know, be able to tune and automatically select to make sure we have a, a primary alternate and a contingency means of, of getting that information through. All right. Let's, uh, I think we got Dr. Markowitz working, so uh, let's bring him back up and try it again. Hey, I just want to give a brief overview of how we're doing on the overall data strategy and how we're implementing it across, provide a bit of a background. We're kind of in our second year of in, uh, implementing our data efforts, and it was uh, charged under a data cloud XORG from Department of the Army. It set up our initial data plan. It set a lot of foundational works. I want to kind of summarize some of those initial uh, lessons learned and uh, more, our most recent kind of pivot and focus. Uh, we spent the first year and a bit on Army enterprise systems, really all of our mission areas within the Army from our business, Intel, enterprise IT and uh, warfighting. Uh, we've built uh, a lot of great successes that first year, building kind of a governance perspective, really uh, successes across .MLPF. Areas we've improved governance, identifying roles and responsibilities. We've identified uh, critical, critical skill set requirements. We've set up our first kind of Army cloud with a C Army, building some of that uh, basic kind of infrastructure. Uh, we experimented with some areas of uh, network transport and created a, a, a lab to help us with experimentation with project convergence. Oh, but I like to say on the the data is often about the data itself, and uh, a lot of lessons learned in that area as well. Um, now our goal is to enable decision at echelon, because General Ray just kind of mentioned up front, it's you got to get the right information to the right spot. And it's got to be not too much, but just enough to kind of help with answering the decision. We found is that if you can really understand the data as a product to give to, to, to our soldiers, how to package it and simplify it. And once you start to provide a kind of a simplified data product, 
the amount of analysis at the edge with our soldiers or civilians really starts to explode if you kind of if you get it kind of in a nice bite-sized chunk. The best example I get is more on the business side and that, as well as the warfighting side. Uh, if you go look at Human Resources Command, it's got after IPSA Field, it has a bunch of legacy systems across those legacy systems. There is 300,000 data elements. So imagine like a really big table with 300,000 columns and amount a million rows, one row for each of our soldiers. That's a lot of columns. Of those 300,000 columns, 300,000 data elements, less than 3,000 are authoritative and needed. There's a lot of duplication, a lot of duplication of first name, last name, social, all, all the words. It's next to impossible for a programmer or an analyst to understand the 300,000 rows. Possible to understand the 3,000. Better yet, if it's just a few hundred. Once you simplify it, people can start to work at speed. And some of the goal is to get that data into what is authoritative and a simple method, curated simple method, so it can be used and distributed at the edge. It's kind of a, a life cycle function. So the chief often talks about data as a new ammunition, and it's a great analogy because there's life cycle management you do on munitions is the same you do on data. You have to design it. What data do you need for what purpose? You have to generate it, you have to manufacture it, you have to, that is for data, you have to censor, you have to collect it. You have to store it, you have to distribute it. You have to understand who needs it on the battlefield as part of your distribution. You have to inventory it to see if you've got enough for the right quantity. And you, at some point, you're gonna have to dispose of it if you've got too much, right? That's life cycle management. And understanding the life cycle management and aligning that to roles and responsibilities, so you have people who are responsible and have authority over that life cycle management to help us kind of guide that steer that data along along the right way because if you don't have that you've got kind of an unwieldy beast we've made a lot of progress in that first year in areas generally where we've got we've had let me call it alignment between the decision maker the analysts the people who design the systems who own that data lifecycle management the business processes that are involved with that data lifecycle management and kind of the tool sets. If you get those things lined up, we find out we're moving pretty quick. You can think of it in terms of like our, our cyber force, our CMF teams, Intel, logistics, finance, area we need a lot of help with. We've had a lot of governance issues to make sure we've got it right, is actually part of this panel is the warfighting, especially mission command. We have a lot of different groups. You've got Army Futures Command, TRADOC, our units themselves, Forces Command, our acquisition community, and in the Army, we need to make sure our Ds, the team here you kind of see on this panel, are all together so that we can streamline that process and kind of get speed in the warfighting mission area. So after the first year and a bit, we decided to focus really at the uh, mission command level, theater level, to make as a focus area to kind of get kind of accelerate progress. The idea being that if we get at the uh, core JTF get them kind of a cop, SIP cop right, we can then both go upwards to the enterprise and downward to tactical. And if we kind of get the simplified data structure with the authoritative data to kind of get at speed, then it's, it becomes like an oil spot of which we'll then start to go both north and south. So kind of how to kind of make that progress. One is go with what we got, and then part so the, the, the expert explicitly calls out to kind of focus at this area and also provide a governance so that we are able to move both agilely 
and try to incorporate our lessons learned into the programs of record so that we don't have unique systems in, you know, if it's UCOM or uh, Indo-PACOM, that we've got as much enterprise synergy across the Army as possible. For those who've kind of, kind of lived through Iraq and Afghanistan, we had different kind of mission commands and data streams from the different theaters, and it took a lot of effort to kind of get that harmonized, even within CENTCOM. The way we think MDO will be fought, we do not have that luxury of time against a peer competitor. So we need a better streamline for almost theater independent. And so if the Army sends a unit like 18th Airborne Corps, either east or west, it should be easily plug in to both theaters to provide JTF capable forces. And that's our goal and our focus area. To do that kind of takes a governance to both be able to help uh, get lessons learned into our programs of record and also recognize where we need experimentation to get, get an agile feedback process. The area of focus that we had over this, this next year identified is really a persistent cop to understand both at the joint level what's needed, some easy, easy things that you kind of think kind of blocking and tackling like where's fuel, ammo, readiness of forces in theater, and the more complicated side of integrating um, intel pictures, unique coalition issues of understanding where coalition partners are and their presence. So uh, again, to create a process that sees all the goodness that's starting to happen in the Army, integrating lessons learned that we're getting from uh, 18th Airborne Corps, uh, USARAF, Operations UCOM, seeing uh, General Flynn's uh, view of where he wants to take USARPAC, understanding common areas and uh, synergizing those activities with kind of the more institutional activities like project convergence and the PEO's activities to make sure we've kind of got one harmonized effort across them all. Some ways we're trying to harmonize is to make sure we're as much as possible to be platform agnostic. The data should be able to roam free, creating, as I think Dr. Iron mentioned yesterday, kind of APIs so the data can flow in a way that's governable. Recognizing that uh, we're probably going to have a federated solution generally across different areas, especially if you get to like uh, partner environments, but that these uh, federated areas do need to be able to understand each other and be able to communicate across in a meaningful time. Uh, and meaningful depends really on the type of data from everything from seconds, if it's like a missile alert, to more institutional data about like what's force structure. But we need to calibrate it according to what the data needs are. Mentioned before, there's network sensitivity to a lot of this. It's incredibly easy to flood the zone and cripple the network. So we've got to be really judicious about what data goes where, if it's at an enterprise level or some tactical cloud, how to kind of meter out what data is needed by the warfighter at echelon to enable what type of decisions you are. That's very hard to understand or get right from the building or using pen and paper at some institutional army process. We have to take an agile process with the field and learn by doing to iterate this so that we've got a lot of reps, more reps than. So the goal for the most recent data cloud exhort is to use all the activity that I identified to get as many reps as possible to, to inform us on what is the best design, the best requirement, and how to use existing technologies and merge them in. Backbone for a lot of this is on the side is uh, people and the need to have this tool set be, have a low barrier of entry to gain speed. We recognize, and you know, my background's in ORSA, I'm a, I consider myself like a card carrier in ORSA, but the speed and scalability has to be done at a kind of generalist or citizen analyst level 
data to the field that we might have some specialists, but the ability to get speed is that every functional area has got to be able to understand and get these tool sets and use them wisely. We have to take a break. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Tactical Exchange meeting or Thames in Philadelphia. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Technical Exchange meeting, or TEMS, in Philadelphia. The panelists included Dr. David Markowitz, the Army's Chief Data Officer, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, who leads the network cross-functional team, Lieutenant Colonel Randy Lineman, the G6 for the 101st Airborne Division, Major General Rob Collins, the Program Executive Officer for PEO C3T, Command Control Communications Tactical, Ross Guckert, the Program Executive Officer for PEO Enterprise Information Systems, or PEO EIS, and Joseph Welch, the Director of the Army's Command Control Communications Computers Cyber Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance, or C5ISR Center. Dr. Markowitz, I'll give you a quick follow-up question because I think uh, you have a room full of industry folks who are interested. You mentioned governance several times, and part of that governance is understanding the tool sets and the types of tools maybe you'll need. From a broad perspective, how are you addressing that challenge of tool sets? Because it's easy, number one, to have 100 tool sets, and you're never going to go down to one tool set. So how do you strike that right balance? And what areas, generally speaking, that you think some of the, the, the most immediate needs are around tools? There's the data, and then there's like the tools. So for data, we want to make sure it's platform agnostic, and it can be accessible across a range of tool sets, and the data needs to be understandable. Of the tool sets, some we think we need to be at really the enterprise level. For example, our data catalog or data dictionary. You kind of only want one place to have your dictionary and to find out if you're going to like call someone like, I don't understand what this means. It's like one place. So we've kind of created an enterprise data service catalog to have that type of ease of use for what is your data in this definition. There's probably going to be local requirements for access control. So obviously we want an army-wide, as part of Zero Trust, an army-wide view of identity management, as well as aspects of the zero trust pillar. But who has, who controls access, especially in an MPE environment, needs to be flexible and possibly federated based upon the environment. One area we're debating right now is uh, coming up for competition, the data platform side. There are certainly authoritative systems going through some form of data transmission and API layer. Again, APIs themselves might be federated based upon speed, but the data platforms are a place to integrate and curate data, do analysis. And those are often might take often tightly coupled. A place where you want to integrate data and experiment with is that integrated data meeting the warfighter's function. Right now we've got uh, several in the Army and a few in OSD. We're probably always going to have a few, but those are ones we probably want to streamline and unify. But still have a kind of a hybrid, probably a hybrid solution. Uh, the, at the enterprise level, the Army selected the Vantage program, which has a certain technology base that comes up for competition again in a year. Uh, OSD has the Advana platform. Uh, we're exper- you know, Gabriel Nimbus is on the big data platform from DISA. And C3T is exploring data platform issues to help with common operating environment. All of these are good. We need to make sure that data can move freely between them. There are kind of unique aspects where some data platforms are more fit for purpose just due to certain high compute needs. That's okay. But there's some of them need to be more generic and easy to use. This is an area we'll probably see some level of convergence. And I'll just be very honest, sitting from the government side, 
we need flexibility so that if we move platforms you know, in four or five years, I don't know what technology is going to be, the ability to be agile to move from platform to platform, and we want competition. I think competition will give us good price control, just sitting on the government side, right? And then there's some aspects of getting certain pieces of the technology that you can kind of insert out, like data extractors, different form of AI ML tool sets that you can add into your data platform are good. We're still debating on the, I mentioned briefly, API level, what we need. I know some within the Army, OSD's experimenting with a different product, and uh, some of our tactical platforms has theirs. We, we need to calibrate them to make sure they're meeting the, the needs because there's different speed and throughput issues we want to make sure we're sensitive to. So as sort of a federated API structure, we want to make sure that at least, again, our experiment will be at that JTF level to kind of move both north and south. I think the easiest is visualization. To me, that's GOTS. I don't, to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time on the visualization layer. I think a lot of that gets a lot of hype. My intent is making sure the data is understandable and curated and you get the right access controls that can live with kind of that zero trust principles to get the data out. There's an open question on resiliency and then understanding data protect, which is an area we're just beginning to learn on, that if you start to integrate data from multiple sources, what are your concerns about classification and data rights? That's an area that's kind of new to us. Uh, there's been a lot of work in private industry on that, and that's an area we're kind of wanting to explore. All right, excellent. Let's, we're going to jump back to the panel. We're, I know you're going to stick around so he can take some of your questions and we'll include them in the panel. General Collins, one of the things we've heard from Mr. Markowitz and, and we'll talk about is the balancing act, accessibility but security. And, and one of the things that PEOC3T is working on is, is figuring out that, that balance. Talk a little bit about the, the steps you're taking today to, to start to achieve that. Yeah, well, one thing I was, I, I, I do want to underscore the partnership that um, Dr. Markowitz, you know, mentioned. And it, you know, it all, you know, it starts with strategy. And then as the CIO has articulated our digitization strategy and data plan, I think have been immensely helpful. And I, and I think fundamentally, you know, if you would asked, you know, several years ago, you know, you, you got one or the other to choose. I mean, you either have seamless interoperability or, you know, or a hardened protection from everything, and the, and the two were completely at odds. And, and I think if you look at, you know, the, the, the network-centric, the perimeter-based, the uh, castle with the moat, you know, around it, allow and deny by exception, now we're headed into a completely different model of which I will not name that conceptual model. <laughs> but I think there are things that we can do at the granular data level, and so we can start to inherently build into our data structures, our data fabrics, almost at the, at the, at the cell level where we can put attribute uh, down there and it can differentiate. And so instead of things such as, I know General Ray, I mentioned the cross-domain solution, and I also have to put a quarter in the jar every time I mention CDS in front of him. But, you know, today we got to have these separate uh, networks with physical diode separation. You know, the big idea being in the future where, you know, the data fabric, you know, if, if uh, you know, with the right attribute level, coupled with an identity credentialing and access management, whether it's role-based, whether it's attribute-based, whether it's an open, you know, authorization service, you know, those two couplings can make sure that we render the right information to the right person, uh, whether it's the highest classifications, whether it's a mission partner environment. And so I think those are the types of things that we're starting to do and really, you know, this whole new paradigm of the way we do, you know, try before we decide, pilot, you know, I know we're looking at everything from requirements to concepts, uh, to policy, uh, to go into implementation. So that's really kind of how we're looking at it. I'm going to open it up to the rest of the panel if anyone wants to weigh in on the secure access piece. I believe that, you know, the way we create data and the challenges is, is to the industry. So I think how we create data in the future is important. 
And uh, I think that will actually get us to what General Collins was just speaking about and how data is tagged at the attribute level. But how we create it in the future is going to be, I think that's how we're going to win, how we tag it, how we create it so that we can put the attributes against it and then we can get after it. And I think, you know, General Morrison mentioned a little bit today, too, and, I mean, we're, we're getting after it, and I know units were, as, as mentioned, carrying, you know, a third stack to make that implementation, which is complexity, which, you know, prevents expeditionary mobility. And so I think if we can do that, that's not only the speed of access of decision, facilitating joint and coalition partners, but also, you know, de- decreasing the size, weight, and complexity of what our lower tactical echelons have to, uh, to be able to deploy with and operate. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Tactical Exchange Meeting or TEMS in Philadelphia. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Technical Exchange Meeting or TEMS in Philadelphia. The panelists included Dr. David Markowitz, the Army's Chief Data Officer, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, who leads the network cross-functional team, Lieutenant Colonel Randy Lineman, the G6 for the 101st Airborne Division. Major General Rob Collins, the Program Executive Officer for PEO C3T, Command Control Communications Tactical. Ross Guckert, the Program Executive Officer for PEO Enterprise Information Systems, or PEO EIS. And Joseph Welch, the Director of the Army's Command Control Communications Computers, Cyber Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance, or C5ISR Center. Let me move over to Ross from PEO EIS. One of the things that all this discussion is setting up is those advanced capabilities. We heard AI, ML come up, predictive analytics. Maybe, Ross, talk a little bit about what POEIS is doing to to kind of open the door for those types of capabilities today and, and looking forward. First, we've reorganized around data. So we established a PM, PM Army Data and Analytics Platform. We did this uh, almost a few years ago in anticipation of the data centricity priority that we anticipated uh, for the Army and DOD. So that has our Vantage platform in that PM that Dr. Markowitz mentioned. He's been a great champion, uh, a great functional for the Vantage platform, and it's been a really an amazing tool. Everything from soldier risk, unit readiness, Afghan withdrawal, weapons accountability, uh, unliquidated obligations, putting a billion dollars back in Army coffers, COVID maps, vaccinations, so a great tool and uh, a great champion with uh, Dr. Markwitz as the chief data officer. The second thing is uh, the cloud. I think the cloud is uh, a big advantage in making the data Vaultus. We all know what Vaultus is, but I think the V could also stand for valuable. It makes that data valuable, resilient, secure, integrated, trusted. So we're moving a lot of our systems. Our ERPs have moved or are in the process of moving. Uh, to the data to take the advantage of what, uh, um, to the cloud to take the advantage of what the cloud offers. The third thing is if we're going to make the unified network uh, successful, we need the architecture that moves the data from the tactical to the enterprise and back. And so we collectively as a community are are working on those uh, operational views, those those system views that make it seamless, end-to-end, resilient, secure, survivable, uh, all those key uh, characteristics that that you heard about uh, discussed this week. And then we also need to work on the use cases. Uh, Dr. Markowitz talked about the reps. What are those reps, those use cases that we need to experiment, demo, 
so we continue to mature it and, and validate that architecture. But we need industry's help in defining that architecture. And so I, you heard that kind of theme this week is how can you help us? How can you help us define that end-to-end -end architecture from the tactical to the enterprise and back? What do you think that looks like? The other piece is the data fabric. You heard that mentioned a number of times this week. You saw Dr. Iyer put up his concept chart yesterday. He said, this isn't right, but a lot of things on here are key elements or themes that are part of that data fabric. Things like API-enabled, composable, standards-based, software-defined networks, uh, no vendor lock, transport agnostic, integrated common operating environments. You heard Dr. Markowitz talk about the enterprise data services catalog, Vantage, a uh, analytics and data platform. All these things need to be part of that concept and then translated into a detailed design of a data fabric that gets the data where it needs to be at the, at the right time and doesn't overload the network. Like Mr. Bang said today, that bandwidth is going to be important. And so the data and the need for the data is going to drive the network versus the other way around. So what is that architecture with those key elements? You know, industry, help us out. What, what, what should that look like so we can meet those needs that you heard about described today so that we're not overburdening the network, but at the same time, getting leaders and soldiers the information they need to support their decision-making cycle. And, and so I believe, Jason, if we get that, that data mesh, that data fabric correct, and if we get the architecture for the network correct, the leaders will have access to that AI, that ML, that predictive analytics when they need it and, and where they need it, whether it's a reach back to the enterprise, whether it's the cloud, whether it's at the edge. If we get those architectures right and validate those, I think the, the leaders are going to get the, the, the information they need. I have plenty of follow-up, but we're going to jump and, and talk to Mr. Welch again because uh, I want to make sure we have time for questions from, from the audience. One of the things that ST is doing, C5 ISR and ST is doing, is, is really trying to, we're going to play off that capabilities discussion, sharing the future of capabilities. And, and for instance, something like you know, maybe predictive logistics is, is maybe something that you can look for in the future. I know I've, we've written about that from the Air Force is, when does a typical part fail? What are some of the areas your guys are looking at from C5SIR and, and uh, ISR? And give me a little bit of uh, where you fit into this discussion. This is a data discussion, but we've talked about the importance of transport and the fact that we've got ongoing work to make to get ourselves to transport agnostic. Um, there's been a lot of talk today already about policy. So, so one of the things I want to do from an S&T perspective is show what is possible, right? And then not just show that, but if there are policy or things that are preventing that, be able to highlight that to our senior leaders to say, this is what we could expect, but we can't actually achieve it because of this defined thing. Uh, for the most part, I think our senior leaders are uh, ready and willing to make changes. It, it can just be complex to know exactly who's got the authority to make those and what has to happen in order to do it. But sometimes if you can show what's possible, you know, we can start to have that discussion. So, you know, I never want to forget about the uh, the policy impact of it. But from a technology perspective, focused on, on what's ahead and, and what's in the data space, you know, I kind of think about it in three different bins. One is the infrastructure that we provide. Uh, the, the next up is the analytics and then the, uh, the interface mechanisms that our users, our soldiers, and warfighters use to interact with these, these systems. And so from an infrastructure perspective, you know, we've wrapped up an S&T effort called Rainmaker. Um, Dr. Markowitz earlier talked about the Gabriel Nimbus product from R-Cyber. You're going to hear on the next panel how that's come together for the Army's tactical data fabric strategy. There's other kinds of infrastructure needs, though, that exist within sort of the MDO, JADC2 
architectures that we're talking about that we're still working on within S&T. One is uh, sensor interoperability. So, you know, mass proliferation of attributable cheap sensors. I mean, it's a great opportunity, but also that's a lot more data. And, and to the points that have been repeatedly raised today about, including for Mr. Bang and, and just a few minutes ago here on the panel, about how that information is all aggregated and what kind of strain it's putting on a network. We're, we're building the S&T now to be doing um, smart sensing, how we do data aggregation and how we do smart sharing in order to incorporate uh, into the big data picture all of the uh, sensors that we've got out there. Also, from the engineering and systems integration part of our mission that, that is works in conjunction with our S&T but also directly supports our, our partners that are represented up here, you know, we're actively involved in continuing to build out the DevSecOps pipeline, including in the tactical space for end-to-end, all the way from the concept down to the, to the deployment. And so we took an early step of that, building that in the same lab infrastructure that Dr. Markowitz mentioned down at APG. We had a lot of client tenants that we used to onboard, you know, leveraging agile uh, software development tools that you're all familiar with, but putting them into our environment. And, and we've been having success uh, actually just now in, um, in, in redirecting these tools up into the C Army cloud environment. Uh, so I think there's still going to be some specialized pieces that we will uh, continue to use within this community. But uh, to be able to leverage that into C Army, I think, is going to be a, a huge force multiplier for us. And then we can think about how we can change other parts of our process that right now constrain the way, the speed at which we can uh, do DevSecOps and, and move at the speed of relevance. And so these are things like RMF, like the way that we certify our systems for interoperability, and the way that we deploy and continue to maintain uh, situational awareness of our deployed software images and tool sets uh, wherever they're at. And so that's kind of the, the infrastructure piece. When you take a step up and say, um, if that's all in place, what can we do from an analytics perspective? I mean, the, the sky's kind of the limit there, right? At PC, over the past couple of years, um, the C5 ISR centers demonstrated one piece of analytics called the Synchronized High Op-Tempo Targeting Solution, or SHOT, where we're integrating multi-in-sensor data, you know, with our own sensors and our mission partner sensors to be able to auto-generate actionable uh, candidate targets for our commanders to be able to get a hit of that kill chain. And, and I mean, that's just one example. We're building a similar one for non-kinetic effects uh, and, 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 broadly speaking, intel support to fires. Course of action recommenders for commanders built on AI. We have a lot of war sims today, but they don't account for the current state of the fight being able to integrate that real time and be able to suggest new courses of action. And then, Jason, you mentioned predictive logistics, right? So if we can get this foundation right and continue to mature on the infrastructure, we can do all that work. Everything I just mentioned, these are all upcoming 6-4 efforts that you'll probably hear about, maybe not at this time, but, but, but one of the upcoming ones. These are future year efforts that are planned right now. And then, you know, the last piece, interface mechanisms. Joe Morrison talked about single pane of glass for a maneuver commander, but an S6 has all these sheets of... Uh, uh, you know, diagrams up there and everything else. And we've talked earlier today on the futures panel about data saturation. So, I mean, it is uh, simple to one degree. Anybody can build a user interface, but usually they're highly customizable. And so how are we doing that? We're also doing work looking into AR, VR. So the Army's got a, uh, you know, premier program right now called IVAS. It's very high-tech integrated solution for that. But we can, we can leverage lower-cost versions of that to get after certain other kinds of aspects. We're putting ATAC, the uh, Android uh, Tactical Assault Kit, uh, right now, in fact, into um, uh, heads-up displays. And, and there's a lot more potential for that in terms of how users interact with their data and more S&T we've got in that area. So that's just a flavor of some of what we got going on, but it's by no means all solved. And, uh, you know, continue to welcome your input as we move across all these uh, areas of attack here and how we can continue to improve uh, the data solutions that we deliver.
We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Tactical Exchange meeting or Thames in Philadelphia. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Technical Exchange meeting or Thames in Philadelphia. The panelists included Dr. David Markowitz, the Army's Chief Data Officer, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, who leads the network cross-functional team, Lieutenant Colonel Randy Lineman, the G6 for the 101st Airborne Division, Major General Rob Collins, the Program Executive Officer for PEO C3T, Command Control Communications Tactical, Ross Guckert, the Program Executive Officer for PEO Enterprise Information Systems, or PEO EIS, and Joseph Welch, the Director of the Army's Command Control Communications Computers, Cyber Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance, or C5ISR Center. I'm going to go to Lieutenant Colonel Lineman, and you get to use all this stuff in the 101st. So maybe give us just a quick, maybe a couple examples of of how you are today taking advantage. Yeah, thanks. I uh, I appreciate it, and thanks for the opportunity to to share some of what we're doing from an operational use case and unit experimentation with everybody. So we started uh, implementing the cloud into our formation in April of last year, so April of 21. And uh, we we built things through aisle 4 into aisle 5. We went to aisle 6 a little bit less than a year ago. Most recently, we just uh, I just got back from our Operational Lethal Eagle field uh, field training exercise, our division training density, 10,500 uh, soldiers out in the field, more than 2,000 vehicles in the field, 28 command posts in the field for um, 14 to 21 days. And so it's a great playground for unit experimentation to do that because you're there and you're not being evaluated by MCTP, so the, everything's kind of wide open for us to, uh, to experiment on it. So one of the things that we did... Uh, particularly at the division main, is we try to plug in as many different types of transport as possible and then see how we can fail through and see where our routing tables and our costing on the links wouldn't support a dynamic failover or a rapid exchange of it. Um, so it's it's not exactly transport diversity, but it's the first, it's the baby steps towards getting there. And so it's taking that 5G puck, uh, the MiFi puck, plugging that in and then seeing how quickly can we transition off of beyond the 4 meg SDT link to the 5G LTE link. Uh, and what happens if one of those gets denied, then how quickly can we go back? Uh, it's shooting Hickless to a fiber point of presence to get to the Doden uh, that way through gate. And it, it's playing all of those things. So that's one of the things that we did for unit experimentation to try to get for the transport piece, because everything that we want to do in the cloud relies on having that robust transport, uh, having it available. And so, uh, so that was one of the things that we played with. The other thing that we uh, really tested out was data endurance and what we can do. And Colonel Casey kind of spoke to it when she was up here as well as all the other warfighters. But what do you do when the command post isn't available? Right now, the command post that creates the data, the command post that creates the fires overlays or the enemy sit temp overlays, that data is generally at that command post and stuck at that command post. So what we've been doing, what we use the cloud for, is to really provide that continuity of operations so that the data isn't stuck at that command post. The data goes up to the cloud so that when that command post goes offline, whether it's uh, maneuvering, whether it's jumping talk or... If it has a system outage, things like that, the data is in the cloud. And we say it's data endurance because that data is outliving the existence or the capability of that command post to put the data there. And that's a reality that we, that we have to deal with. Sometimes we want to turn all of our links off so we don't present an ELINT signature to the enemy. Um, and for us to do that, we want to make sure that the data isn't stuck at that command post and trapped there, that it can be accessed by the other command post, the adjacent higher supporting command post. So we put that, uh, we put that data endurance in a, a fun use case, um, not fun for me, but it was fun for the people who saw it happen. Uh, we found out that not all of our tents are waterproof. And so really emphasizing that we don't want to take a data center to the field 
We lost one of our BCCS V5 stacks at the battalion level to water damage. Uh, they're drying it out. It happened, uh, it happened Saturday night during a rainstorm. As I was getting on the plane to come here Sunday, they were, my team was sending me updates. But that's one of the realities that you can't trust that your hardware that's in the fight with you is always going to work because it's subject to those environmental things that you just can't control. Luckily, all the data from that had been replicated into the cloud. So even though that command post data, even though that command post went offline for all intents and purposes, its data wasn't lost. Um, the other thing that we did, and this is really similar to, uh, to what 82nd and the Corps are doing uh, overseas, and, you know, wish they, wish they could be here. I'm, I'm sure they'd echo it. I won't speak to it too much in depth. But there's also the rapid access to, to the data that's in the cloud. So whether you're using the M20 on the TCN Lite or you're using a GRIPS kit, what we do is when we're driving around the battlefield, we're not just up on JVCP, we're also up on the upper TI accessing CPC in the cloud and, and doing all of that, accessing our radio over IP uh, address, accessing our XMPP chat in the cloud so that we have the most robust capability, at least for those single power users. In our case, it was the G2 and the G3. So they were driving around the backs of their vehicles on the cloud, actively updating, not just stuck on JVCP, because uh, the goal is to provide the most, the most options and most redundancy to the user. So that, that's what we did. And when it looks at kind of where we can innovate and where we want to get better, one of the things we noticed is that, uh, speaking to the point of taking complexity out of the lowest levels, taking that complexity up to the higher headquarters and keeping it simple as far forward as you can, we're still struggling with kind of that data handoff. Uh, when you're processing data on the edge, how that data processes into the cloud. We're not doing a lot with network address translation on the front side or Elastic IP where the user's always hitting the same address. And so what we saw was people were still making local servers on their edge command posts, even though you had the server in the cloud. And then when we would, when we would transition, you had transition users between servers. Uh, so what we want to start doing is kind of working on Elastic IP and having a single server that then, that's then kind of distributed down. Um, we don't have all of the talent resident in the 101st Airborne Division to do it, but that's when we work with our partners at the cross-functional teams and C3T and everybody, that's one of the things that we're, uh, that we're looking at is how we can really get that data endurance and make it that much more transparent to the user and that much more simpler on the edge by pulling that complexity up towards higher-level engineering in the cloud. Uh, and then to that end, we're also looking at, uh, at dynamic data management. And it's not something that we really can do much about, but it's definitely a need that we have, which is having something determine, having an algorithm or a set of parameters determine what's the data that's getting synced to the cloud so we can preserve our transport. Transport's a very special commodity. It's limited. It's finite. And so we don't want to just sync all of our data holdings all the time to the cloud. We want to be very particular about, well, this is the data that needs to go to the cloud, and this is the data that's temporal in nature, so it can stay on the edge because nobody else really needs it. Nobody else is accessing it. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard an excerpt of a panel I moderated at the recent Army Network Technical Exchange meeting, or TEMS, in Philadelphia. The panel included Dr. David Markowitz, the Army's Chief Data Officer, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, who leads the network cross-functional team, Lieutenant Colonel Randy Lindemann, the G6 for the 101st Airborne Division, Major General Rob Collins, the Program Executive Officer for PEOC3T, Command Control Communications Tactical, Ross Guckert, the Program Executive Officer for PEOEIS, Enterprise Information Systems, and Joseph Welch, the director of the Army's C5ISR Center. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb/contractorbetter. You made it here finally. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go. You know the one. It's nice. Even the kids like it. This place is so cool. And they never like it. Mom, can we go to the pool? Look at that. Not even asking for the Wi-Fi. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.